I spent so much time trying to kind of fit into what I think people wanted me to be. And, you know, I was trying to be, you know, the, the cool girl. Like, I was trying to be the girl on Clueless. I was trying to be the princess. I was trying to be this person that I thought other people wanted me to be. And I started hanging around with the popular girls because when I was hanging around with them, I it was an easy, quick route to being, to ticking all those boxes. Yeah, we were the cool kids in school. And, yeah, we had all the boyfriends. And we had the nicest... So when you're a teenager and you think that those are the most important things, like it's the easiest thing to do is just to, you know, tick off all the boxes and be, be mates with those people. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting better acquainted with Caroline. Hello. Hello, Caroline. (laughs) You're right. Well, as I was just saying to you, I'm suffering a little bit from a weekend, an extended weekend, because it was my birthday on Thursday. And because not all of my friends could make my actual birthday party, it was on Thursday, they took me out on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday... And then we went down to Brighton on Saturday, and then I got forced to the pub yesterday as well. Oh, so, wow. my I can feel that I sound a little bit tired, and so I apologise for That's that. That's okay. That's perfectly fine. And, and you, was it your twenty-seventh? It was my twenty-seventh wow. birthday. Thank you very much. That's my food coming in. I must apologise to listeners who object to food, but being eaten, but I have to eat at some point today, and this is the only opportunity. <laughs> Because I'm really cramming so much into my life. Sounds like you're cramming a lot into your life too. Yeah, I've just made myself sound like I'm a massive party animal, but that's just my quota now for the year of 27. It's your birthday week. A lot of people do that. They have like a lot of partying in their, yeah. in their birthday week. I never managed to get into birthdays. I try occasionally to get into them. But... This has been my first year in, oh gosh, probably 10, 15 that I've been excited and celebrated my birthday and normally I just completely ignore it and say don't do anything for it. I think I did something for my 18th but apart from that I just normally ignore it but I've been quite excited about my 10th and 7th birthday so I decided this year that I would mark it and force everybody to come out and play bingo because that's the obvious (laughs) obvious thing to do on your 27th birthday. Why why did you feel the 27th was like the exciting like an exciting one because I I did something on my 30th birthday okay and that was the first birthday in years I'd even tried and then actually this year was my 31st and I did actually celebrate that and enjoyed it but I, I just spent that with my girlfriend so we had a good Aww, day but it was, that's nice actually I did a conversation and then I went and, and had a, <laughs> a, a nice evening in I think that 27 is a really great age okay I think that I absolutely hated my early 20s like at the time I think I quite I probably enjoyed them from a sort of just very surface level but now I've got to 27 I can look back and be like oh god that was actually quite terrible and I'm really pleased that I'm you know not going out and drinking bottles of champagne with footballers for my birthday and so it's just I kind of got past that and I've it's 27 for me I'm hoping it's I'm just becoming a maturer young lady now. <laughs> well, that, that, that's kind of that kind of chimes with my feelings. That's why I celebrated my 30th so much. I hated my 20s for similar, not, yeah. not, not necessarily for similar. For partying reasons, with, I don't remember with footballers with champagne. With, but, 
just hate all of the the insecurity of your twenties. You know, like nobody ever tells you you're going to be insecure all through your twenties. No, no, definitely not. I I mean, I hate hate teenagers in a different way. And then at like thirty, it's like, yes, I I know myself now. I'm kind of comfortable with who I am. Sounds like, and I think that started when I was about twenty-seven, probably or twenty-eight. Yeah, that's. I think I've I've ignored it for most most of my 20s just because I've, I've kind of got to every year and it's just been a point where I go these are the things I haven't achieved these are the things I said I was going to do and I haven't done this is why I don't like my life and mm. I'm still in a rut for some reason um, but I've actually in the last I don't know probably six months of this year really kind of taken a grip on my life and oh, wow. met so many fantastic people and um, that I thought was reason to celebrate and get on my because I've always kind of cringed at people surrounding me and saying happy birthday to me and making yeah. it all about me. I find that whole concept that quite That's cringy. Exactly what I hate. But it's actually quite lovely because I, I just realised actually some people do like celebrating birthdays for the other person. That they get quite a lot of joy out of that. Yep. I know that my one of my best mates, she goes crazy for birthdays and was quite upset that I didn't really do anything last year. I just said, you have to do something, you have to do something. We really want to celebrate with you. So I thought, bingo, obviously. It's a funny thing as well. It's like, it's like you don't celebrate it because you don't want to, like, I'm, I was like that. You don't celebrate because you don't want everyone looking at you. You don't want to be the big centre no. of attention. But then you sort of start... I sort of suddenly thought, well, why, why, why shouldn't I occasionally celebrate? You know, why, why am I being so hard on myself? Why, yeah. I, why can't I have one, one day a year? I still have a problem with it because I, the reason I have a problem with it is just because I all celebrations remind me of harder times when I was a child where they were never very fun. I never really enjoyed the stress yeah. of uh, Christmas or birthdays, so I always have a kind of a bit of a don't want to get into it kind of kind of situation because I'm uh, yeah just not not enjoying celebrations growing up yeah I mean that's that's pretty much why I, I have a problem with them but I've got to the point where I, I know I shouldn't have a problem with it and I need to learn to enjoy myself and have fun yeah. definitely no and that I can probably give you 10 birthdays where I've ended up in in tears just going I hate <laughs> I hate my I hate what's going on in my life right now and or something that happened at school that day that really upset me. Yeah, that's I remember what... on my 13th birthday, I was told off for bullying, and I didn't even bully this little girl. Um, but it ruined my birthday, so my parents didn't give me my presents, and I was sent to oh, bed. And... No! Even... No yeah. presents on my birthday, no, it's quite I had, a, I had a similar situation <laughs> one Christmas where I opened the wrong present by accident and was blamed, like, and it was said that I did it deliberately, and then oh, that completely no. ruined, ruined the Christmas. Yeah, it's funny how that, that kind of little things like that can really... Yeah. Have a big effect. Plus, oh. my my dad has never celebrated his birthday. Actually, he celebrated his 60th, but apart from that, since the day I can remember, when every time it's been his birthday, he's gone, well, I'm not dead, but I probably will be soon. And that's kind of his, his attitude. is very pessimistic. Like, these are things I haven't achieved in my life, and I've definitely oh caught on that. Yeah, he's, an, he's a massive pessimist, is my father. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, it's a funny thing like, with birthdays, isn't it? Because you do always reassess your life. Yeah. Like, you can't help it, because it is like a marker of, this is a year's gone by, and it's an arbitrary thing, but you definitely. really you can't avoid it. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Which is a, a strange one for, for, for you to answer, because, yeah, how, how, do, how are you going to answer? Well, we know each other because of Spark London, which is a storytelling evening at the Ritzy, which is where we are right now. That's right. <laughs> Listening to somewhere between lift music and reggae. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's a good, good description of it, lift music, reggae. That is kind of what's going on in this room, yeah. And so that's how we know each other, from, mm. the, from the storytelling evening, which I started going to a year ago almost a year ago to the state actually 
And yeah, I mean, the first time I met you, you told a story that night. I was, I think I was recording. I think I was in charge of recording that night as cover for, for the guy that normally does it, Matt. And um, yeah, you, you told quite a story. Um, yeah. And then I guess the experience of telling that story made you want to come back and tell more. Well, I was asked to, from telling that first story, I was asked to go and do your sort of flagship kind of end of the month That's event. Right. Yeah, the at, curated night. Exactly, at um, Canal Cafe. And I met so many lovely people. <laughs> and I absolutely loved it. And that was the thing that keeps me coming back. And the people that you meet here are just so different from the normal people that I work with and hang around with people coming from all different backgrounds and then that's what really got me hooked and just listening to so many people's fantastic stories literally from around the world all yeah, together right. in Brixton and it kind of strips it back doesn't it because you're telling true stories about yourself it yeah. doesn't matter that you haven't got very much in common because we've all got lives in common and so suddenly you kind of connect with all these people and it's great exactly you you'll get across. people go up yeah. on the stage and then you'll be going ah oh, that happens to me or like yeah. laughing that happens to me I've done that stupid thing as well or you know god I can really empathise with that person mm. I've had a couple of people find me on Facebook afterwards and say you know your story made me laugh because of this or made me really think about a time because of that and thank you for sharing it and I've done that in you know return and it's such a lovely thing it's such a really lovely gift that everyone can share together I agree I mean that's that's one of the reasons I've been in love with it and that's why I'm I mean I've got more and more and more involved so much so I'm now running a night in Hackney uh, for them so yeah. I guess I'm part of the spark now but I still kind of kind of a bit still a little bit shocked that I'm a part of this kind of really great thing that inspired me and changed my life in lots of ways it's great to be and so when I was at school I was really up for being on stage and you know doing the jazz hands wanted to be an actress actually I think I just wanted to be rich and famous when I was 16 <laughs> that, I have a video or my parents made a video of me when I was very small saying when I grow up I want to be rich and famous like the little brat that I was <laughs> but then I haven't been on stage or haven't done anything since I was 16 and I was so amazed at how completely nerve-wracked I was because I thought I'd be fine I get so nervous when I go up on stage now that I use it as an opportunity to try and get that confidence back um, which has been really useful because for my work that I, I have to do quite a lot of pictures in front of big and important people and I used to kind of freeze when I'd get up and they'd give me the PowerPoint clicker and I would be saying how I could help their business but now I'm feeling a lot more confident and I think that Spark owes to a lot of that because you just get used to standing in front of people and talking again. Yeah, a lot of people, I mean Spark does do workshops for people to help them to tell stories and one of the things people can get from that is transferable skills yeah. for their working environment. Absolutely. That brings me on to my second question that I ask people, which is, what do you do now? For a job? Yeah. Or... Well, however you want to interpret <laughs> that question. I shouldn't have said yeah. I should have just left it up to you. Well, for a job, I work for um, an events and consultancy company. Cool. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's not what I want to do forever, but... No, I should phrase that another way. It's it, the company, the people that I work for, i.e. the companies I work for are not the companies that I would like to work for forever. Okay. Okay. Um, but that just happens to be because the guys who I work for, who are fantastic, their clients are all automotive clients. And it's just an area which does not interest me at all. And also the amount of times I've gone into client meetings with people like Toyota 
and I'm trying to sell them. Like, I can sell your new Aris, but in my head, doing a Mark from Peep show, oh my god, you're the number one contributor to greenhouse gases, you bastards. Yeah, I don't want to sell line, anything for you. Um, but I'm using it at the moment as a bit of a stepping stone into the direction that I do want to go in. And they're a lovely company, and I'm learning so much because they're a really tiny company as and what's well. What direction you do want to go in? I would love to do a similar job, so organisation, creative, but I would like to do it for an organisation like a charity or something I can really get my teeth into and really enjoy promoting their ideas or their campaigns. Um, that was, that's the direction I want to go in, but I have to have quite a lot of experience before I can go in with a good job because so many people want to work in charity just for working and for charity's sake. Um, yeah. I would like to go in there and actually have some skills Something to give them to be able to get them exactly and speaking to various friends who either do the job they want to do or work in consultancy all say the same thing like the amount of do-gooders who want to do good that's such a such a negative word isn't it <laughs> the amount of people who want to do good in the world and want to go and work therefore for a charity or um, non-profit organization yeah. they will have no skills other than loads of time and love for that organisation, yeah. which is fantastic. Which can be really, really good for charities, yeah. but they do also need At the need same time, they need, to, they need to make money, they need to, all of those <laughs> things. So this is what I tell myself daily when I go into these Twitter meetings, like the corporate <laughs> tour that I am. These are things I can tell myself. <laughs> so that's the, that's the kind of direction that I'm going in. And if you weren't going to answer with what your job was, what would you have said if I'd have said what... Because you sounded like you might have had a different answer from, um, from the workplace. Or well, right? it's because I don't think my job really summarises my personality. Yeah. And, you know, if you're in a... You meet somebody for the first time, they go, what do you do? I work in events immediately. I do the same thing. If I meet somebody who works in marketing or events, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're probably a twat. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I am a twat, but I would also like to have the opportunity to explain that. Um, That's fair enough. I mean, I, I do know what you mean. Yeah, I you mean, make assumptions about you people do, you immediately. You do, Especially with something like marketing or advertising yeah. or something. Which is funny because all of those jobs can be... It really depends who you're working for and what your emphasis is. Mm. Like, what you... Because you know, you're quite... I mean, is it right to say, having heard some of your stories, you're quite political in, in your in the way that you think about the world? Is, is that... I would like to. I would like to hope that I am. I, yeah. you know, read and try and keep abreast of what's going on in the news. I didn't used to be at all up until maybe two years ago, which is probably why I come around to explaining my my birthday thing earlier. Um, up until two years ago, I really didn't care about anything else than other what was happening in Caroline World. <laughs> which was sort of blonde and orange-skinned. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, and I've tried to really make the efforts to study and be, try and become a person that I would like to be or a person that I would, you know, would be happy to chat to in a bar, and I guess. What, was, what, what happened two years ago to change that? What, what made you decide to change? A couple of years ago, I went out to Honduras and that was sort of stemmed from this bit of a bad patch in my life where I kind of, I think it was being 24, living in Bournemouth, still at my parents' house in a real dead-end job, like I was, I was a manager of this really terrible restaurant where the owner was horrible and very corrupt and it just wasn't a very nice environment to be in. Oh, God. My boyfriend of the time cheated on me. Um, all of the and all my friends seemed to be very happy and know what they were doing with their life and I kind of had this bit of a breakdown and thought I need to get out of this place and this headspace 
So I always wanted to learn how to do another language. And I thought, the best thing to do, just to throw myself into the middle of nowhere. Started looking around for organisations um, to work for or to go and donate my time to in a Spanish-speaking country. Came across after loads of investigation, because when you're looking into working abroad or donating your time, most of the things that you look for in a Google search go, oh, you can come and pat an orphan on the head for £2,000 a month. Right. And you think, that's not benefiting anybody apart from some big corporate organisation somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I found this, um, this amazing person called Eve, and she's set up this, um, this project in a tiny little village in Honduras, and it just ticked all of the boxes for exactly what I wanted to do. So I took myself out to Honduras, and the experience of working in Honduras, it wasn't so much working with the children and the people and, you know, kind of seeing, really seeing things from the other side. And, of course, it was a very humbling experience to realise how lucky I was. Um, But it was the people I was working with, the the other volunteers out there, who were just brilliant and, and the most amazing people I've ever met. And they really just made me think about what was outside of my box. Like they challenged my ideas, and I hadn't had that challenge before. Okay. Growing up and living in Bournemouth, it's quite a small, small town where everyone knows each other's business, and no one really thinks outside of Bournemouth. I'm doing massive generalisations here, but it's it's quite true that at least the people I was hanging around yeah. with are like that. I think um, a, a, a lot of towns are like that. Mm, I'm sure it's not just Bournemouth. Especially I've, I've in a town which has got so much new money. Ah, uh, okay where it does seem to be about talking about what's the latest car everybody's got, what's, you know, okay, the, yeah. exactly. Um, but the people I was working with were who were from all over the world. They really, if I said something that was a bit out of their thought process, they would pull me up on it immediately okay. and be like, why are you thinking like that? Have you ever thought about it being like this? And I hadn't. And that's really where my changes came from. And they were, it was like was therapy every single night because we had our um, our electricity went off every evening and we didn't have any computers or music or televisions nothing like that so we had to sit outside and just talk every evening to candlelight sitting in hammocks and we just talked and talked and talked about so many different things and I think that that's why was my big turning point that's really good. I mean, that's really inspiring. I mean, I guess it sounds like you were already going in that direction, though, because when you were making your decision, you were thinking about, you know, what what's going to be benefiting the actual people. So it sounds like you were already on your way. In that I was. I mean, I have some key people in my life who do fantastic stuff, and so I've always had them, and I've had them to look up to right. my whole life. So although I was living in Caroline world. I also did have the influence of these people okay. to look up to, and and I realised right from wrong. I wasn't I wasn't a horrendous person. I just probably didn't think as much as I ought to, and so it, it wasn't like I'd suddenly changed from overnight. It wasn't a scene from you know American history. No, no it, never, it, never, it never works that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. there was people kind of pushing me in the directions that I needed to go in already. Yeah, it just took that you know being in the middle of Honduras with nothing else other than talking to people. And what was Honduras like? I mean, just generally. Honduras is, um, 
Uh, it's, a, it's a really fascinating and amazing country. Not many people have gone to Honduras either. They'll, they'll go to tourist areas. There's some beautiful islands and stuff of Honduras, which a lot of people on the travelling route go to. In fact, I met a guy the other night who I, I was talking about Honduras. He went, oh, I know Honduras. And really? He went, yeah, yeah, I've been to Utila. I was like, well, then kind of like going, I know Spain. Yeah, I've been to Ibiza. Like, <laughs> you don't really know Spain then. Yeah, Honduras is, is an extremely corrupt country. It's suffered from some various political coups recently. The people there are amazing, but unfortunately their government is just not allowing them to live a very great life. Most of them work for big American corporate companies as well. They'll work for Dole or Coca-Cola. Okay. So they're really under the thumb, and if they're not working for them, they're normally working for El Salvadorian gangsters. Sure, and like companies like Coca-Cola haven't got a very good history, uh, track record of treating no. workers well in countries that are not uh, Western ones. Like uh, no, uh, Coca-Cola and Dole are my hit list. If yeah. I could get rid of companies in the world or make them treat people who work for them more ethically. Uh, I mean, I stopped when I was a uni. I stopped. I stopped drinking. I mean. I love Coca-Cola. I mean, I'm drinking it tonight, but uh, I, I actually love the drink, not the company. Yeah. When I was at university, I stopped drinking Coke because at that time they shot their trade union uh, yeah. representatives in South America. I don't know if it was in Honduras or not. But ethical consumerism is something that I wanted to do, and now I just I've got to the point where I'm like, it's such a impossible battle to yeah. stop drinking coke and think that's going to change things but it I'm is, not saying that isn't an option and that's I totally respect people who do it but it's, I'm and it, looking but you for know other ways to. I bet if you went downstairs and said have you got a cola drink they wouldn't they have Coca-Cola Coca yeah. and Coca-Cola own all of the competitors often. exactly so if, even if you're going to yeah, that's, that was one of the things that I kind of thought well it just is so impossible mm. and also why Coca-Cola and not everything else because every like you're just stopping doing the thing you know is bad, but everything else might be bad, but you just don't want to hear about it, you know? Yeah. When I was doing my ethical consumerism thing, like every time I found out about a new company that was bad, I was like, oh no, you know, like going down a list to what what more things can't I can't I buy now? Yeah. Well, I mean, I try and I try and I I avoid certain companies like Coca-Cola, Nestle, you know, the obvious bad brands. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean when I'm out in a club. I asked for rum and coke, and I'm like, but please, can you make sure that it's ethically sourced? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I try to, I think if you try, at least you're, you're kind of almost setting an example, but that sounds quite patronizing. Well, for example, like in the office today, yeah. I, we had a big, you know, who wants a chocolate bar from the shop? And my intern was like, oh, who wants what? So I was like, I have a chocolate bar but don't get me Nestle and so he said well why not Nestle and then we had 15 people in the office discussing Nestle and then by the end of it everyone was like I don't want Nestle either well, that, that is great <laughs> I'm making small movements well, that is great. I mean, <laughs> one I mean, step at a time a chocolate bar at a time <laughs> no I mean you're absolutely right I probably should should stop drinking coke he says <laughs> I'm drinking lemonade that's probably Schweppes or something owned by <laughs> well, Coca-Cola own green and black, don't they? Do they? Yeah, I didn't I mean, know that. Do. God, they're sneaky bastards. Even when you think you're buying ethically sourced chocolate. Well, that's like we buy from the supermarket fair trade coffee. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we still try and do the right thing sometimes. And I, I always think if when we buy Tesco's own brand 
uh, fair trade coffee. The money is going to Tesco, and they've got fair trade coffee next to Tesco's own brand, non fair trade. You know, yeah. It doesn't say unethical like, all over it. Exactly. Um, so when we do that, we're still giving the money to the same corporation. It's such a weird kind of. I know. It's it's very and it's very hard in the Western world to try and avoid it. Yeah. For sure. For sure. But then at the same time, us not avoiding it, you know, is causing other people a lot of pain. Yeah. Uh, and suffering, I guess. So. Okay, so what was like day-to-day life in, in Honduras like? Like, in, um, were you in a village or you were? Yeah, we were in we were in the village about uh, let's see. Yeah, well, it was probably about 45 minutes away from the nearest town, but that was on like, bumpy roads and difficult transport. We knew that it was going to be on the Caribbean coast, and so I think that I'd arrived there kind of thinking, well, I know that it's going to be quite run down, but, you know, we've got a Caribbean coastline, and we got there, and yes, there was a Caribbean coastline that was completely littered with all sorts of debris and dead animals and it just it, the Caribbean coastline thing went out and the out of the picture and the sea there you couldn't really bathe in it because it had so many toxins in it which doll flush out their pineapple fields into um, the village itself was was quite small um, I don't know the population it was it was tin you know it was tin shacks and very basic you know basic care they were, yeah, not not a lot of free flowing water. Um, it wasn't as it wasn't as bad as maybe some images you would see of Africa or India. It is on its way to becoming something because it's got a lot of money coming in from America right. with American tourists okay. coming near Honduras. The people there are fantastic, but I think that's quite a almost like a degrading thing to say because. <laughs> I was having this conversation the other day. I went to a VSO campaigns workshop and we were talking about changing perceptions. And we were having a bit of a laugh. There were some, there were some ladies on my table who are from Nigeria and they're having a laugh at how many people will come and volunteer and do stuff out there and then report back that the people there were just so lovely. They're like, of course we're lovely, but we're just the same as you. Like, don't. Most places you go, people yeah, will be people hospitable. are lovely. Yeah, people will be nice so to you. I take back the Honduras. Yeah. People are lovely. Comments. Okay. Some of them were completely awful. Um, yeah, but uh, there's a lot of soul, a lot of love, a lot of music. My God, they love their reggaeton music. Though you'd hear reggaeton blasting out at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, it was very hot. You couldn't get a lot of the food that you wanted. Things don't work. You know, electricity doesn't work. And you go to get your phone topped up. 45 minutes away and the shop shut because it's just shut that day there's no explanation behind it it was hard but it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be I quite like the whole rugged camping thing where you're you know heating things over a stove and all yeah I I like all of that um it was it was so interesting but I mean as far as the school was concerned we were cramming 50 students into a tiny room the teachers were never ever in school. They were always on strike because they hadn't been paid for two years. Jesus, no wonder. Yeah, but the governments don't listen because governments don't care. They're making so much money from all sorts of... Kids don't need to be educated to work in a factory for exactly. a corporation. That's exactly. A, that's and a sad truth of it. I mean, that's the thing. Well, so the whole idea behind the project, which Eva set up... Um, is that if they can get, which is the one that I was specifically working on, is they can get a small amount of people, kids, to speak English, then they will be able to 
leave the village and go and work on those islands I was telling you about earlier, because they're not too far away, where you have to be English speaking because there's so many tourists that come through. And if they can get a job out there, they are going to change the, the, their family's lives because they'll be making an income and not working in a dull okay. pineapple field and not having to succumb to smuggling drugs across borders for the El Salvadorian gangsters that came through. Oh, that was that was the most alarming thing about working in the village, <laughs> was that we weren't, we were told, I wouldn't leave at that, your house after seven, you know, when the su- seven o'clock at night when the sun came down. Um, and on the f- second night, we found out why, because you could just hear machine gun fire. And then massive, you mean, picture, picture a a little village in the middle of nowhere, massive SUVs driving through, pumping out like hip hop music. It was really bizarre and quite scary. That is scary. Really scary. Actually, on that first night, we heard gunshots and we heard machine gunshots. And the guy who'd been out there longer than us said, um, Oh, that'd be the police. The police are the ones with the machine guns. So, I mean, it's just completely corrupt. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how, how long were you out? I was out in Central America for six, seven months. Yeah, six, seven months. I wish I could have stayed longer, but my father was saying to me, Caroline, you're 25. I think you should come back and get a proper job now. But um, it won't be too much longer before I go on my next trip. That's right. Haven't you booked, you booked to go to India? I'm, yeah, I'm going right? to India. Have I I'm got going, that right? Yeah, I'm no, you Facebook have got... <laughs> my, my main research tool, research tool for people I don't know very well is Facebook. I am going to India at Christmas. That's just going to be for a holiday with a friend. Okay. But I have something rather exciting lined up, which is why I'm so excited about being 27, because I've got loads of cool stuff planned for the year of 27. Okay, well, why is that? In the summer of 2013, I am planning a trip, hitchhiking and cycling from here to Cape Town. Wow, that's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, I've always wanted to see more of Africa. I've had several friends tell me it's the most amazing place. And I just decided I'm going to do this. I'm not going to wait for someone else to come with me. I'm just going to go there. So you're going to go from here to Cape Town on, well, a, you know, on I was a bike gonna, on your own? Yeah, I was going to go from <laughs> Livingstone to Livingstone, as in Livingstone, Edinburgh, to Livingstone, Zambia. Right. And the reason behind the Livingstone to Livingstone thing, there is a tie to all of this, which is that my housemate, Harry Livingstone, is ah, the great, okay. yeah, we go, great, 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 Got to get this right. Great, great, great grandson of Dr. David Livingstone. His name is actually David Harry Livingstone. Everyone calls him Harry Livingstone. I saw it on our post for about two months, thinking, oh, that's funny, he's got the same name as David Livingstone. One, yeah. And then we were talking about relatives, or it came up in discussion. He went, oh, yeah, well, my, my grandfather's, my great, great, great grandfather's obviously buried at Westminster. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it actually is. So then we got talking about that. I then decided, this is, this is as random as it actually happened. I thought to myself, I wonder how long it would take to get to Livingstone. And I put, went into my iPhone and put in, you know, maps. And I put Livingstone and said, what, Livingstone in Scotland? So I was like, yeah, Livingstone has got to Livingstone in Zambia. And then thought, my God, that would make such an awesome journey. Especially as next year is the 200 year anniversary of his birth. 
So it all ties in quite nicely. So that's my next random trip. I don't really stay in one place for a long time. Are you going to document that? Yes, so that's the other main part, apart from that was the inspiration behind it was being a little bit mental and thinking that I needed to see Africa. The second part, which is the, probably the most poignant reason behind it, is because I, I really want to do something for VSO, the, organize, the charity. I think they're a fantastic organization. And from this campaign workshop that I went to, and this whole campaign they have at the moment, which is let's break down all these stereotypical barriers that we have, um, and let's just project Africa as it is, as normal people. We're swamped with all these horrible images of starving children and, you know, with captions like, this person's going to die today without your two pounds. And it's just a really horrible way to portray somebody, kind of just that, you don't know who, you don't know anything about this person, and yet they have a photograph of themselves on a bus in London, that whole, it doesn't sit very well with me. I can see me. what you're saying, absolutely. I've, it's never sat well with me and I actually read somebody's essay once and I found that the person who was writing it was I read it and I really liked the person I really wanted to like it and it was a really well written essay and he did an amazing thing out in Africa but something didn't sit quite right for me and it wasn't until I went along to this campaign workshop that I realised that he was doing that what I just accidentally slipped into which is the people here are so amazing I feel so humble and it's you either get one one extreme or another, yeah. don't you? They're either the, the best people in the world, soul of the earth, etc., or they're you know horrific yeah. criminal people to be afraid of. You never exactly. get a kind of realistic portrayal. That's that's fair. Isn't it? Exactly, and I just you know I was writing about like this person so and so she was raped at this age, and this person so and so her husband you know did this and that and this person her children died and it's kind of like that's their introduction your introduction to somebody is by knowing about what horrendous things have happened to them yeah which isn't i would never walk up to say with someone and say i'm caroline and this has happened to me like it's just no you don't want to be defined In no you define e- as that even person more reason not to define someone by something like that i mean than the, 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 the just like the, the job or yeah. something i mean who wants to be def- like that's 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 they're being badly treated by everybody because yeah. of one time that they had a terrible experience. Exactly. You know, don't defy people by that. And that's very, I mean, we, uh, we obviously, ha- and I also think that we write about one of developing countries like this so far removed from anything that could happen in England. Yes, of course, there are, there obviously, obviously they are removed in some instances. But there are women walking around on the streets today that have been raped. They don't walk up to people and go, my name's so-and-so and and I've been raped. But we feel that we can document this when it's about a country that's really far away. So what I'm getting round to saying in a roundabout way is, yes, I am going to be documenting it. And I want to try and make it into a comedy kind of thing. And I want to make a lot of films and write a lot of blogs and try and tell humorous stories as much as possible and get people to tell funny stories and get people engaged in that way. Because once you're engaged with with somebody because you, you like them, you get on with them and you feel like you have a connection with them, that's when your empathy is going to be, that's when you're going to start thinking, God, I really hope that so-and-so succeeds at doing this or that because they seem like such a sound person that yeah. I would really get on with. 
And I think that's when we start breaking down our various barriers with people. It's gone all quite quiet. No, that, well, that's really <laughs> interesting to me because, I mean, that's almost... This, this project is obviously not, not set in Africa, but it's one of the things that I'm doing in Getting Better Acquainted is, is trying to become more empathetic with other people and trying to sit down and listen mm. to their stories. I mean, and I think it's, it's an interesting angle to, 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 to go through humour because humour is something that is very humanising, yeah. I guess. I guess that's where the, the hue bit and humour comes from, I guess. Yeah. But... I get one thing that I am thinking though when you're telling me about this project, which I think is a brilliant project, then uh, I think you should come back on getting paid at the, at the other, you know, <laughs> when you're back and, 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 and tell us every, everybody how it went. Is that you're right, Africa is misrepresented in the media, yeah. as I would argue every, everything is. Yeah. Um, but that said, Africa has got some countries that are in more dire situations oh, than others. I mean, are you going to have to go through, or like, where are you going to travel through? I've got, well, I did have one route planned, which was to go on uh, David Livingstone's last journey, which is basically Egypt, Egypt down um, the east coast. But having spoken to the lovely women from Nigeria who had a go at me and said, like, why are you not going to come to our country? <laughs> and they got quite angry with me that I wasn't going to come because they wanted to introduce me to their sons. I now think I kind of have to do a bit of an S. So and also, Matty from, from Spark London, yeah. she really wants me to go and see the DRC, where she's from. Yeah, well, I've talked to her about the DRC, though. I would love I mean, to go. But I might need to take somebody with me when it gets to that point. <laughs> Probably not a safe idea for a, a girl who blue the, eyes, blonde hair, indeed, and white skin to this go. This is in. one of the things that I'm thinking about. Yeah. Like you, you're right. I'd like it is, it is definitely a laudable thing to be representing the side of Africa that's not being represented. Yeah. But you are putting yourself in danger quite consistently. There is, there is, there is. You know, it, it's not, it's not all myth. Yeah. No. As I'll you go, know, no, as I you know. know yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying this to someone who doesn't know it. But how do you deal? Like, how do you deal with that that element? Well, I say I'm going by myself. I mean that I'm planning the trip by myself, but I'm trying to get different people to come along with me at different stages and get people to kind of pledge that they will. You know, I've always wanted to, you know, go through Kenya. I'll come through Kenya with you. I've always wanted to cycle around Lake Victoria. I'll do that part with you. Okay. Like, there's two reasons behind that. One, it'll be safer around with other people. I'm going to be more interesting. And the second reason is that the more people you get involved, the more money will hopefully raise because they'll have a different pool of people that they can say, hey, look at this blog, sign up, get involved, see what we're doing. So there's two reasons behind me wanting to take different people with me. But so I say I'm going by myself. I'm really hoping that all my friends who have gone, oh my God, that sounds awesome, do actually sign up and come sure. with me. Oh, you asked me a question about Africa. Yes, it, it's very poor, and so what am I going to do in those scenarios? Yes, that's, yeah, that's right. Uh, truth is, I'm not entirely sure. I have some various ideas, but I think that you can find humour in a, in a lot of situations and in a lot of, lot of difficult situations. Obviously, I'm not going to point a camera in the face of, Someone, yeah, and say, tell us a joke. But, well, <laughs> Why did the chicken cross the if road? If you did, though, they probably would have a joke to tell. It yeah. wouldn't necessarily be one that would, would <laughs> no. make you laugh, but it might, it might be telling in lots of ways of the cultural exactly. construction of um, that person. <laughs> I think I'm just going to... There is a really great YouTube clip that you should have a little look at, which if you put in Hollywood, how, do, how does Hollywood see Africa or perceive Africa, and have a little look at it as an advert for a, a charity and starts off by these four guys and they're saying we're from Africa this is but if you've only seen us in the movies this is what you'll think of us 
and it goes through like we love war and then shows those clips from films of right, war right. we love like and then at the end of it they go you don't really think of us like that do you and then it kind of shows them what they're doing one of them's trained to be a medical student or, to, or you're connected with these people so quickly because you just go oh god yeah no I did kind of think like that but yeah, yeah, look sure. at these guys they're great they're, one of them's a medical student one of them's studying law one of them's stu- and that's a really great way to show Africa and that's the kind of Af- angle I'm going to try and go down well, what if you I mean are you going to what like, am I going to do if I don't find the medical students <laughs> and, well also I mean like I, I'm sure you will find the medical students yeah. but you will also find other kind mm. of co- cultural issues going on I mean, are you going to represent everything or are you just going to kind of hardline go, well, everybody always sees the negative, so I'm just going to do the comedy. And that, if that means ignoring something terrible and just focusing on the humour that's going on in this area, I'll do that. I mean, what, what's your line going to be? Um, I will probably go down positive story routes. I think that's a reasonable decision to make. I'm but not... I think that the reason behind that is because people know. They know yeah. and they don't... I'm not saying they don't care, but they see it enough. Me going out there and just being another person who says, oh my God, the situation's south to down at the moment, this is what it's like, or, you know. Well, I think there's a real value to, I mean, one of my, one of the, my favorite books that is, I guess, political, but I just think it's amazing, is called Don't Shoot the Clowns. Have you oh, read no, that? Oh no, I haven't read it's that. by uh, Joe Wilding, and it's about um, when her and a, a group of she actually got together a group of circus performers to take a circus into Iraq because um, they were like well what can we do for the people who are suffering there we can make them laugh and we can uh, and it's an, it's an amazing inspiring yeah. uh, story she I mean she wrote it up as a book um, in the book she does talk about the the negative things too but in the actual doing the circus they didn't make circus acts that represented the terrible stuff that was going on as you said the people in that country knew that stuff was going on and they just wanted to 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 take away you know take to to give people a a different experience than what they were getting at that moment and have some light relief yeah i think that's really valuable i'm trying to get one of my friends to uh he has a really cool puppet show it's a comedy puppet show he took it to edinburgh and I'm like, why don't you come and do a public show out in Africa? Please That'd come, be cool. Please come. That'd be really cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm He's... trying to convince him. Now it's on here. He's going to be... <laughs> yeah, <he'll> be <laughs> I'll put his name on here and then make people <laughs> bombard him with requests to do that. But I want to, I want loads of people to come and do crazy stuff out there because why not? Yeah, and absolutely. And if it draws a bit of media attention, that would be even better. For sure, absolutely. I think it's, it's a great idea. Yeah. Have you, have you thought about contact? I know it sounds really tacky, but have you... And I don't, don't. I have some reservations with some of what they do. But um, have you thought about com- contacting Comic Relief about it? Because it sounds like it might have a slight chime with. with yeah, I mean that would be on. that. It does have chimes with it. Uh, apart from like the cuts to camera, Kira and Ike be holding a child, going, yeah, no crying. Oh God, this yeah. is such an awful moment in my life. I don't have my Jimmy Choo's on. Um, <laughs> uh, so maybe why not? Maybe I'll get one to them and see yeah. what I could well, do. Who knows? Get Lenny Henry they down there. They might be interested. They, they might. They might. For, they might not be. Because they, they, they might they, be interested. They do just make a. Story, a they, yeah. Well, they do do a lot of stuff that does present Africa in exactly the way you don't want to present them. Yeah. Which is, I mean, and that's a. I mean, that's the thing I always find with comic relief when you're watching it. It's like a. 
you know you laugh and then you get that kind of hor- horrific thing and you, you just but don't know where your emotions are actually supposed to go and I, I don't, don't know where the value I in don't that know. is I so don't, they're going maybe on. it makes people pay money I guess that's what it makes want. people pay money it's, it doesn't it's, make it's, me unfortunately because no. I, I feel too manipulated it guilt re- trips people into paying money yeah. and there are certain times when you do need to be guilt tripped into money and sure. there's certain times when you know like Haiti we need to give money immediately and we will do anything we can we will put you know Madonna on television saying I want to you know one of my children is from there please donate money there are certain times when you definitely need to have a rush of money but what I would love people to do is to go you know actually I'm going to think about this and how can I contribute to this how can I help maybe it's not even through donations maybe it's really angry about the fact that we're only giving 0.6% of our annual money to to depriving countries um, in our budget this year. I'm going to write to my MP about that because I've seen this and yeah. I've realised I really want this country. This is a country with hope, and that would be amazing if that if, you know people are doing things like that rather yeah, sure. than just immediately. Oh my God, I've seen a picture of you know Bono holding a child. I'm going to donate money. Yeah. <laughs> I had like a three-hour debate about Bono in the office the other day. And people now on YouTube comes on the radio are like, oh God, don't get Caroline started oh, I, again. I, I, yeah, I, I, I actually, li- I mean, I actually like some of YouTube's music, but I hate Bono. Yeah. I mean, I like jo- I, I like the album Joshua Tree, but I can't forgive Bono for flying his hat, anything. flying his hat on first class to a gig. And how? Uh, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty despicable. But also the way that he defends George Bush consistently yeah. because of the fact that he persuaded George Bush to give some money to some people who needed it. Exactly. That's not. A reason to defend George Bush look at George Bush's uh, case history you know it's, it's that whole kind of thing like he, if, if you get that powerful that you can go and talk to George Bush you should be continually holding yeah. that guy to account exactly not, not, not then go out and do his PR for him basically I know it's anyway, incredible I mean I also can rant about Bono for quite a long time people always are a bit afraid of me starting to do that <laughs> well, that's pretty, good at least you weren't saying you think he's really great because we would spend the rest of the interview with me going you're wrong you're wrong. Yeah, no, no, that is good. I mean, I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking down through my, my list of things I was going to talk to you about, and it's, we've, we really have covered a lot of them, like, naturally. That's why I keep finding happens with these with conversations. I write down the list okay. after conversations, and I'm like, oh, wow, we've actually covered all of them. Because, I mean, the, th- the, the, the trip to Honduras was one of the things that you talked about uh, in your first, first story. story, yeah. And I guess one of the things you talked about in that story was I guess that you had been quite depressed for, for yeah. years before that. Has that has this has that experience kind of taken away that depression or is it uh, I th- uh, I know I mean that's a, a big question and, and it's a complicated one. It's a it is a complicated one. Has it taken away depression? It's taken away a different yes, it has. It ha- like I'm not that person that I was back then. I don't, you know, sit in my room with my curtains closed and I and I don't think that everybody's awful and doesn't understand me. Um, I don't have that I don't have that at all. I mean I have had rather upsetting things happen to me like in the last year or upsetting thing happened to me in the last year. I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's fine. It was a breakup, you know. I'll get over it. And that kind of almost tipped me back over because I thought I was going so well, I was so well and I was with this amazing person and it didn't work out for a couple of reasons and that got me really down again. But 
the most amazing thing was the people I met and the support network I had around me at that time. I think when you're quite vulnerable, I know that I talk a lot. I'm very good at just talking about my emotions, which which helps yeah. rather than bottling it down. Yeah, yeah. So the people that I was talking to were so amazing, and the people I was meeting at that same time were fantastic. And as I said, it was my birthday on Thursday. Three key people that I've met, or I've, or one of them who I haven't spoken to in couple of years who doesn't even live in this country they all wrote me really really lovely touching things on my birthday and it just made me go oh my god life is so fantastic and that was that was fabulous I have so many amazing people in my life it's funny how it goes isn't it? yeah I, 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 I spent like nearly all my life thinking I was never going to be someone who would go around saying yeah I'm really happy yeah uh, but the last year I've just been really happy and similarly I'm just very grateful for all of the great people that are in my life and stuff I, you know having fantastic people in your life I think anything can throw at you and if you have an amazing network of friends around you yeah. it can be terrible but you can also learn you've, so much you've about got someone have you back but I mean it is luck it is privileged like not everybody has the opportunity to have uh, great networks of people not everyone finds that certainly I didn't find that for some years of my life yeah. certainly at school there were, there were years of my life when I was pretty much on my own with no real networks I had some good fa- good family yeah to be well, that's for, good which, not all of my family were good, but I had good parts of my family who were there yeah. for me, you know. Um, um, and that's and that's a privilege. I mean, I, I, one of the things I'm real, the happier I get, the more I'm almost aware how lucky, you know, how it's a privilege and how definitely how that means that it's something I shouldn't be afraid to be grateful about and be pleased about and share, I guess, almost with people. But also, it's something that I should be aware with other people that they haven't necessarily got that. And you know, it's it's a, it's a complicated one, isn't it? Yeah. Being happy. Being happy in a way that doesn't make you feel guilty that you're happy. <laughs> Does that sound weird? No, no, no. I completely, I completely get that because I, I spent a lot of my life surrounding myself by people who were loads of fun, but that was about it, and there was nothing really below the surface. And now I have people around me who are just amazing and wonderful and so creative and interesting and funny and I kind of still think that I don't really deserve to have those people because I still look back at the person that I used to be which was never anybody completely horrendous at all but it was very someone who's self-indulged and only used to hang around with the pretty people and it was ridiculous but now I have really lovely lovely people in my own and I kind of think oh god why are you all hanging around with me you're all you know what? What's wrong with you? But you've changed, haven't you? I've I mean, changed. That's, that's the thing. I mean, and I think I'm. It's like I say, very different. I didn't hang. I never hung around with any of the pretty people. I was the opposite of that. Certainly, I think I have changed, like in certain ways. Like it's just like about kind of coming to know yourself, know what you, yeah. know what you like, appreciating the world, and you know, and you, you kind of change. And then if you're lucky, you kind of when you've changed, you look around yeah. and. There's those people there, and they, you know, they've seen the change or whatever. Like I'm sure some of the people you are close to have been there, kind of all the way through. Like. Yeah, no, I've had some key people who have always been my mate, and my relationships grown with them in different ways. Like I have a really great relationship with my brother now, but we were never that close when I was a teenager. No, sure, yeah, yeah. no one wants to have 
you know, have their little little sister hanging around with them. But now we're so close. He's probably the person I'm most closest to in my family, which is brilliant. How many years is there between? Five years different. So, I mean, my sister is six years, and she's my little sister, and okay. we're really close now. But yeah, it yeah. takes the time to. Five years is massive when you. When you're, when you're a kid, that's a massive difference. When you're in twenties, it's nothing. Yeah. Um, my friend said to me, which I think was a really lovely way of summarising. She's always completely honest. She's the person who told me that um, at the end of at the end of the world, an apocalypse, there would be only two things left, which would be cockroaches and Caroline, <laughs> um, which is charming, but really nice compliment. But also, she probably could have said it a better way. Anyway, she tells me exactly how it is. And when my boyfriend and I broke up and I was doing that, oh my God, I thought I'd found the love of my life. This is horrible. I don't know how I'm going to go on. I'd been looking for him for 26 years. She went, no offense, Caroline, but he wouldn't have even looked at you or talked to you before you were 25. So actually, you've only been looking for someone for two years in your personality that you are now. I was like, that's a really good point. When you look at it that way, like... I could never have been completely happy at like under the age of 25 with any of the people that I that I'd met or that I was going out with. So I like to think of it as you know I've only been looking for somebody for two years. Sounds better than 27 years. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, when you were when you were when you were hanging with the pretty people, do you think that was like a insecurity thing? Yeah, I think that you spend, especially as a girl at girls' school. I think you spend, I know I did, a lot of time trying to, I spent so much time trying to kind of fit into what I think people wanted me to be and, you know, I was trying to be, you know, the, the cool girl, like I was trying to be the girl on Clueless, I was trying to be the princess, I was trying to be this person that I thought other people wanted me to be and I started hanging around with the popular girls because when I was hanging around with them, I it was an easy, quick route to being to ticking all those boxes. Yeah, we were the cool kids in the school, and yeah, we had all the boyfriends, and we had the nicest. So when you're a teenager and you think that those are the most important things, like it's the easiest thing to do is just to you know tick off all the boxes and be be mates with those people. But then you get to a sensible age and realise that what you're doing is was fine when you were 15, but definitely not fine when you're 24. Don't get me wrong, I still have, I had, I was mates with people at school who were brilliant and I'm still mates with now. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm sure you are. I mean, in fact, I, I, I think you posted a, a photograph on uh, uh, Facebook the other day of like, you know, something like seven years or something and we're still not yeah, a girl or something. We, I um, that. That yeah, we went down to Brighton this weekend. Um, me and the group of, there was five of us girls at school and uh, yeah, they were all fantastic, fantastic girls. Um, but it, we did joke that we used to be like, we were like a girl band because we we're all so different and we all look so different as well. But uh, God knows why Simon Cowell hasn't signed us up. Could be so dear that none of us can sing. But. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if that, that really bothers them that much, the, uh, the pop Svengalis. They, they, they don't seem to necessarily pick good singers. <laughs> Interesting to talk to someone who was in the cool set, you know. <laughs> Because like, I was not in the course, you know. I mean, I wasn't at a girls' school, so I guess maybe if you know, if I if I was at a boys' school, it would have been maybe a different kind of a, a thing. But I mean, I was I was uh, the the you know, I, I guess almost like the untouchable kind of cast. If you if, okay. if you like, like in school for a while, I was like the lowest kind of common. Like I don't know what, like almost like I was a scapegoat. Like I had a nickname, and everywhere I went, everyone used that nickname, and I didn't have. Um, like even any friends or anything like 
by the time I was in my six, the sixth form, I had a weird kind of like, I was cool in the right circles, but yeah. in the rest of the school I wasn't. You know, I got to that point where I was like, did the theatre stuff and did the singing and did the writing and was okay. like kind of getting to be a kind of almost like in the right circles. I had a bit of credibility, but I certainly like the popular kids were not the kids that I thought I, I would be sat down having a conversation <laughs> do you know what I mean especially when they're saying to me uh, you know I've turned my, like, I changed from that and I've seen that other, and I, I'm, I'm glad I'm really glad yeah um, that people do change like, I've changed a lot like I don't think people would necessarily know if they if I hadn't have told you that stuff no, wouldn't no know you, that I, would I wouldn't school, know at like, all in that way. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Like who you are when you're a teenager. It, oh it God, stopped, being a teenager it, it is horrible. Being relevant in any way, really, at a certain point. But you still got it in your head. Yeah, that's the thing. I've still, yeah, definitely. You walk around with it constantly. But teenagers are vicious and horrible. <laughs> they are, yeah. Especially in the UK, I just think that we. Oh God, we're, my little sister, she's 15. And she goes to a school down in France, and she so just doesn't have the dramas that we do in the UK, and she's shocked by her friends back home in England about how they all go out drinking and, you know, are talking about sex and stuff. She, it just doesn't really... Her and her mates talk about, you know, running around the countryside and being teenagers and... Yeah, I think there's a lot to say for kid, kids of today. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I think it's really hard for them. I mean, I feel like, you're right, teenagers can be cruel, but, I mean, when they're being cruel, like, it's the society around those kids kind of putting them in that situation you know like one of the things I found really good is that now I can think of the kids that bullied me at school and kind of feel empathy and sympathy for them um, and when I sort of went I went back to Cardiff relatively recently where I used to live and where I used, was bullied at school and I sort of went to the school and I looked at the school and I all I could feel was kind of like it was kind of forgiveness rather yeah. than any bitterness and I just thought this is great for me personally yeah. to have got to this position that I don't feel that but also it's important for me to have realised that because you know it's hard being, it was hard for me being a kid but it was hard for everybody in that well I think that we get to an age and you can look back and realise that even the people who looked like they were happy just weren't yeah. and I mean at least you're never going to get anybody come up to you 10 years after you've left school and be like, oh my God, you were, you absolutely broke my heart. I used to go home sobbing because of you. And what can I do apart from apologise? And, and, and it was just, yeah, I've had people say like, you bullied me so much or what you were did, so what scary. Did, what did you do? What I was just, no, I was, <laughs> I actually wasn't the worst one. We were just, and we weren't particularly no, I'm not, bad. I mean, I'm not judging. No, 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 it's fine. Judge away, I judge myself. We weren't particularly bad. We weren't like flushing girls heads down the toilet but we just were loud and present and we would say what we wanted which I think I mean I think that can be almost yeah, it doesn't just, really it just be just as worse like all you need to do is be like oh my god you're so fat and that kid will yeah that's hard that, I mean that's horrible yeah. but we just used to like say and we we weren't doing it to be mean like we weren't there wasn't like something that we set out to do but it was like mean girls sometimes yeah. not with everyone and not all the time and I make me I make I'm very conscious of the fact that I make myself sound probably sound worse than I am but it's only because it really grates on me and really upsets me about how I used to be but I think that we just didn't really care 
didn't really care about other people's feelings. But we didn't set out to be mean, but we were just. But you don't. I don't. Loud I don't think you do care when you're a teenager. No, in the same you don't. Way. I think there's like physiological differences. Yeah. Like you develop. Uh, your brain develops, you know, so you, you take more risks when you're a teenager and things like that. Yeah. There are a lot of things that change as you get older about yourself. I mean, but I mean, it's, it's funny anyway. I mean, when you're a teenager as well, the people you're talking to are very um, brittle. So it, it won't take very much for you to knock them badly. But at the same time, it, you know, it's, it's kind of, it means that you can, even when you're not being mean, you can, you know, that's what I always think, like, like for me walking around the corridors some kids just calling me that nickname right yeah and that's just one little tiny moment in their day but that's the hundredth time i've heard that nickname yeah. said to me in that day so that really has a has, has an effect on me but that one kid that said it it was nothing to them and you know that's exactly they didn't how it know used to that be with it us. would work that way and so if there's a group of you then yeah. you know you're just saying a tiny little thing yeah. And it just builds up on somebody, you know, with all the rest of the stuff in their life and their home life and all that stuff. Yeah, def- exactly. And you, you don't really think about what's going on outside of the school. And you also, you kind of think that everyone's just as resilient as you are. You're not really aware of what other people are thinking. Yeah, I think that's um, true. You just kind of presume that you're all, like, as, as equal as each other, but that's not that's not the case at all. Yeah, well, also, I think, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that this is what your group of people did, but, I, I mean, I, I also think that, like, it's not all on the people who are the bullies, as it were, because yeah. when I think about myself, I invite, like, I didn't, I'm not saying it, that they didn't have any responsibility, but I invited that stuff on myself to, to an extent by being so, by being so raw, by, yeah. by being someone that if you prodded me, I would have an extreme reaction. Yeah. That kind of invites it. So Definitely. there is a kind of, like, I, I don't know how you deal with bullying. Like, because I I, I I don't know at all. Like, when I was at school, like, there was a time when I was in sixth form, they wanted to make me, like, a mentor to the lower school. And I was like, no way, that doesn't even make sense. They're no. seen with me at this moment in time. I may be safe now in the sixth form, but those kids are still going to get tired with my brush. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know how you deal with bullying as a as an issue, because I, I do think that the, the victims and the... Uh, the bullies need to all be sat down and kind of learn to be empathetic with each other and that's yeah. how do you do that when you the know? whole how you know you being, dra- being dragged into the headmaster's office and being sat there with the person you bullied or the person you're being bullied by that's just not very productive because no, you know that they're just going to walk out of there and they're just going to go back to be exactly the same but probably 10 times worse because they've got into trouble no, I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is. Nobody, no, no, no teachers ever solved solved me being bullied, but no. certainly lots of teachers made it worse by accident when they tried to sort of, sort of get yeah. involved in it. I mean, actually, the, the ones that helps are the ones the ones who provide you with a safe place. Like yeah. the drama room for me was a safe environment. Yeah. Like we, we could go there at lunchtime, and a lot of kids from all, all for lots of different reasons were were made safe in that place. And I often think that the drama teacher was doing a a very good thing whether he knew he was or not I don't know I think he did I think he was conscious but I mean whether he knew who he was or not that was the most effective way of helping those kids giving people distraction yeah and giving them a safe place like the, the school isn't a safe place no um, but the drama room was because you actually can monitor what happens in one room you yeah. can't do that in a school you know you can't have eyes everywhere no definitely and I think by the time this was this was I, I talk about my, it's, it was my like early teens that I was sure. that was bad and then by the time we get to sixth form everyone's getting a everybody bit more get that's it I mean by sixth form the same was with me like yeah. that's why I didn't have any hassle in sixth form because the people who 
maybe bullied me earlier in school. Now we're sitting in the same classes, we're in the yeah. same common room, and everybody just grows up. You know, they have that moment yeah. where they kind of grow up and. I was yeah, talk I was definitely still really reasonable. loud and very opinionated, oh, sure, and me still too. made enemies when. But the <laughs> the uh, the kids, everyone got their own back when we did our school yearbook because. It wasn't the popular kids who were making the school yearbook, so we all got nominated for the worst kind of things, which is, I, look, I looked at my school book yearbook the other day, and just the way, oh God, it was just awful, it was so cringy, the way how I, what, how I came across to everybody, and I just thought I was so cool, and I just wasn't. <laughs> I just thought I was so, so cool, and you know, by the time you get to it, this is my problem is that I didn't grow out of being like a 15 year old at all, probably till I was about 21. <laughs> but I carried on being that 15 year old for such a long time and thinking that the way to like get people's attention was to wear tiny skirts and be really loud and you know, well, know all the dance routines to Christian Aguilera You're not wrong, you do get people's attention <laughs> by wearing shorts. kind of attention. Yeah, yeah. I was, Maybe. I was nominated um, in the school yearbook as person most likely to be a porn star and most likely person to have a boob job. Oh dear. I know. Which, I mean, looking back now, is it's funny, but it's also really sad because, oh God, like my whole of my life built up to that moment where people just went, you're not cool, you look like an idiot, and we've printed it, and here's a picture of your face next to it. Like, yeah. That was a fantastic get your own back, that's, I think. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, it, it was like nominated. The whole of the sixth form nominated me for wow. that. Wow, that, that does sound like an intense, <laughs> a very intense moment. I think I, I would have, yeah, I can understand how that, I can empathise with that, that feeling, you know, <laughs> for sure. This is around about the time, or a little bit after the time, actually, where I asked people if they got anything that they'd like to plug. Oh, Which, I think I plugged. Yeah, we, we don't plug, <laughs> plugged early. I would like to like. have um, a job. <laughs> I would like to have a nice boyfriend. I would like to plug my uh, my campaign. No, I think that the only thing I can really plug is is my campaign's work. People are going to go, I'm not doing to her. She bullied me at school. No, no, no. They won't <laughs> at all because you've gone on a journey from that person <laughs> to here. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, it, everybody can change and you've already changed a lot. And I reckon doing that project is going to be a massive change for you again. I mean, it's got to be life-changing, tra- travelling, you know, across Africa uh, on a bike. I went on on Saturday. I just wanted to know how far you can get without doing any exercise. So I, I, I never really cycle that much. I cycle to and from work, but it's a couple of miles. So I decided to cycle to Brighton on Saturday. Ah, that's what you meant on Facebook, I see. So yeah, I did. I cycled to Brighton on my like city cruiser, which took me hours. I've like a big cruiser with a basket. and <laughs> It took me hours just to see how far I could go for my training for Africa. And it turns out you can go 60 miles without doing any training. So I think I won't do any more training for Africa. They have sorted as far as fitness-wise is for okay. my bike ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, <laughs> might, you may find they're doing it day after day after day. <laughs> it's training enough. Yeah, actually, I was speaking to a friend, and he's—I was kind of half jokingly saying to him, like, I don't think I need to do any exercise. I'll be fine. So I don't really like exercising at all. And he went, in all seriousness, by by month one, you'll be fit enough yeah. to climb, you know, Mount Kenya or whatever you want to do. Um, although I probably need to put in a bit more time in the gym and stop eating quite so many pizzas. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that 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 year that that journey is going to be. 
physically transformative, mentally transformative. It's such an exciting thing to be doing. I'm kind of envious, but at the same time, uh, oh, you're gonna have glad to come along for a little bit so you can. So, <laughs> you're gonna have to come along a bit, and then you can do some getting better acquainted okay. in. Uh, oh, that would be cool doing getting better acquainted in Africa. Really. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted. Oh, it's been great. Right. You too. And the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, bye bye, audience. Thank <laughs> you very much for listening to me. Bye, everyone. I'm. 32 now and Caroline is 28. She's yet to go on her trip to Africa, her Livingston to Livingston trip. Various things I believe have come up in her life and she's had different things to to deal with. I, I think that plan is still on the horizon and if it does take place I will definitely let people know. She is however running an Indiegogo campaign called Building Bathrooms Honduras Child Alliance which is about raising funds to build a bathroom for a family in El Povinir, Honduras. It's got 14 days left. Go to indiegogo forward slash building dash bathrooms dash Honduras dash child dash alliance. You've heard a little bit about why she wants to do it in today's episode, so that will give you even more context for it. So if you want to support Caroline, whether she bullied you at school or not, go over there and your support. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store there are lots of ways to get better acquainted